0: Reading from uh, Genesis chapter 40, the first eight verses. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me.
1: Thank you. Two kinds of people, maybe two
2: groups, not the overgeneralized, but two groups of people are on my mind this morning. One of those groups would be those that are having a hard time getting over something, Those that maybe because a a circumstance, something was done to you, you felt used, you felt hurt. Doesn't seem like it's been made right, and you're not sure exactly what you ought to do with it. Is there a way to move on? Is there a way to even move forward, even if you, you know, I'm probably not going to get over this, but is there a way to move past that, or will I always remember this? Is this going to even be possible for me to let something go? So that group is on my mind. And then there's another group that maybe as I've read this this week, another group came to my mind, and that's the group that maybe is dealing with something and has been dealing with it for a long, long time. And something needs to change, but it hasn't. And, and you can identify some of the changes that need to be made, but they're not happening. And so it becomes heavier and heavier. It's a, maybe not one intense thing, it's just the daily grind that's gotten more intense over time. Something's wearing you out. And and I wonder where those things have taken you in your relationship with God. Is there doubt? Is there, is there concern? Is it, I mean, how are you processing those things with Him? And then I wonder what, what it's done, maybe the daily grind or the intense thing that you can't seem to get over. I wonder what that's done with your relationship with others. Has bitterness set in? Has you find yourself more cynical, more angry, less trusting, closing yourself off, kind of narrowing yourself? So, Certainly those groups of people are on my mind, and'm not trying to blow anything out of proportion today, but I do believe, I do believe you're here for a reason. I believe all of us are. And God's word can shape how we, how we look at things, how we think of things. And I don't want to say this lightly, but today, today really could mark a change. From this point forward, I really do believe. Maybe not all at once, but it could gradually set your life in a different direction. You could move forward in a different way. You could have conviction and perspective that you didn't have as a result of spending some time in God's Word today. So on Sunday mornings, we've been tracking, if you've been with us, you've been tracking the story of Joseph. And as you can even see behind me, the story of Joseph is not a straight line. It's not the shortest distance between two points. It kind of goes all over the place. And the story of Joseph sits in the greater story, especially that the first part of the Bible is telling. And the first part of the Bible, as you read through it, and some of you are reading through Genesis right now, and you're processing this first big story in the Bible that that goes from one man and a family to inheriting a whole land with a nation. And Joseph sits as such a critical link in that big, big story. There are several movements that make up Joseph's story. And it takes time for them to unfold. And as we've been looking and thinking and reading, I find this story so relatable because the events in Joseph's life are so tough. Just like it's, it's hard to imagine some worse circumstances than Joseph had, had to endure. This story involves people doing right, but it involves a lot of times people having to living have to live in light of someone else doing wrong. So Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and he has to deal with that. When Joseph is lied about and accused falsely and goes to prison for something he didn't do, and he has to deal with that. And I want you to remember that these stories, and I think Scripture is written the way it's written for a reason. It's not meant to be kind of a 140-character principle that we just kind of take away. But the stories in Scripture are meant for us to take these characters and live in them and think through what they're saying and live in the details and process them and kind of find ourselves in them and hear what God is saying to us through the story, through the characters. So the details matter. What they say matters. And so we're paying attention to this. Pay attention closely, and I know there are things that we pick up on. Open your heart and listen to what the Lord is saying. I say this like pleading for you, and and I'm grateful for Champ's like encouragement toward that end, like God might have something for you today, not because of my words, but because he is powerful and he can speak. He can speak through his word today. Where we left, Joseph had been put in prison, and as you resume Genesis 40, what Don read a moment ago, he still is in prison, but let's look at it again, all right? The verses that Don read just a moment ago, let's like begin to dig in those. So verse 1 says this, sometime after this, after what? After Joseph being put in prison. And just notice those first two words there in verse 1, all right? This actually comes up a couple times. Sometime, not exactly a, a number there, quantifiable, but sometime after this, the cupbearer, of the king, or other translations say the butler, the king of Egypt, and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king, the, the pharaoh, and pharaoh was angry with his two officers the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where, the character we've been looking at for a while, Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and Joseph attended them. They continued. And there's the word again, two words again. They continued there for some time in custody. So we have new circumstances, new scene, new people here, the king of Egypt, the baker, the butler, but Time just goes on. Some time goes on. So what we're told, if you take some markers, we're told when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was 17 years old. A little spoiler alert, he does get out of prison, not in this chapter, but later. He's 30 when he gets out of prison. 17 to 30,
1: 13 years. So you read these things like some time. Some time elapses. I just want us to know there's a significant amount of time involved because you can read
2: the chapters and think like, well, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And I know I'm talking to people who are waiting for some things in their life to change. Maybe change
1: dramatically. And you've been waiting for some time. And maybe more of some time has gone by. Let's keep reading verse 5. Like while all that time is going
2: on, it says, And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Each had his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph, let, let's listen to these words in verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And then they had their response. But I want you to notice the progression in verses 6 and 7. He saw that they were troubled, and he asked why they were so downcast. So stop and hear and learn something. Joseph hasn't lost sight of others, regardless of what Joseph is going through. Joseph doesn't lose sight
1: of others. The people around him are seen. Despite his circumstances, one random day,
2: Joseph wakes up. I mean, this is what the story says, right? He wakes up and he notices something about them is different. He sees them. He pays attention to what's going on. It's so much like the words of Paul in Philippians 2, which tells us everyone should look not just to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. It's so in line. What Joseph did here and seeing what was going on with the the cupbearer and the baker, it's so in line with Jesus telling us to love our neighbor, telling stories like the great or the good Samaritan where passed by, passed by, but there was one who looked and noticed and did something. Like that's the essence of Jesus' ministry. It's the essence of Jesus' ministry when he He sees others. You just notice Joseph hasn't lost sight of others. You think of Jesus in Matthew 9. Just looking at the chapter again this morning, it's like this person, another person, another person, another person, and they have this common denominator. Jesus saw them. And then it kind of concludes that with with these words in Matthew 9 in verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and rejected. And dejected like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them and he was moved by that. Just like Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John go up to the temple, it's time for prayer, but they see a man who's lame from birth. They see him. And I just see in Joseph's life here that core marker of Jesus and that core marker of his disciples we don't lose sight of others. We don't lose sight of others.
1: Do you see others in that way? Confession time. Confession time for me
2: is that when I'm going through a particularly hard time it feels very difficult to me to notice others. What I kind of want to think is they should be noticing me. I, I'm the one going through the hard time here. Like many sympathies extended. Like my goodness doesn't everybody know? Well, if they don't know they should ask. And if they've asked once, they should ask again. They should know about what I'm going through. And I don't really have time to bear anybody else's burdens because i got my own. I don't have any time to worry about anybody else because I'm worried about myself. And I've got a lot of things to worry about. That's kind of, I feel like, the default setting. God has to do something in my heart to change. And obviously, God had been working in Joseph's heart. When I endure suffering for too long, it's so easy. And I think this is all of us. I, I, I think that. We turn inward. And yet, something powerful is going on here. Could it be, I mean, what's going to happen tomorrow? We don't know. But could it be that God just drops a person, drops two people right right in your path? There they are. And the real question's going to be, despite everything that you're bearing, despite everything that Joseph was bearing, do you see him?
1: He doesn't lose sight of others. But I... I do want to go back to verse 8 there again,
2: because he asks them a question, pursues them like, why are your faces downcast to them, downcast today? But verse 8, it says, they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. But notice verse 8, and Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. So he's bringing God into this equation, this question of their dreams And so not only has he not lost sight of others, but he also has not lost sight of God and God working. We don't have a lot to understand what's going on in Joseph's mind, but we do have his words. And his words are going to direct us that he is going to bring God into the equation. He's going to mention God's name. Dreams come up, he's mentioning God's name. And he says, this is how it relates. God is the one who gives interpretations of dreams. This is, this is very much like what Joseph did in Genesis 39. We talked about it last week. So He's tempted to sin. He's propositioned by someone who actually has a lot more power to hurt his life and Potiphar's wife solicits Joseph, and he says, I can't do this great wickedness against God. He brings God into that situation. He brings God into this situation, and it tells us he's like, he's looking, thing, looking at things through the lens. Despite all of his circumstances, he's looking at the things through the lens of how is God at work here, which is so significant to me. Because, because I think if I had endured what Joseph had went through, this is probably the way it would go for me. If I had had my life formed with faith, with like prayer and with calling out to God, I would know, okay, when I get sold, when I get sold into, if I'm Joseph, when I get sold into slavery, you know what I need to do? I need to pray and I need to ask God like, help, help, stop this, stop it. Lord, make this stop. This can't go this way. Please, Lord, please. You think Joseph prayed those prayers? You think when Joseph was falsely accused and just in a moment his life changes and he seemed like he was on the rise, not anymore, he's in the pit. Do you think for a moment He prayed. Do you think he talked to God? I mean, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I think it's a reasonable, reasonable guess that he would have said, Lord, please no. Haven't I been through enough? Haven't I suffered enough? Is this really fair? Is this really right to it? And we really have to, Lord, please. And yet he still, for some time, is in prison. And yet, in the midst of this, and this is why I'm pretty amazed at the character of Joseph because he's human just like we are, and yet, still, he, even with the huge disappointment of how life has turned out for him, he's bringing God to bear on this, willing to open his mouth. He's speaking about God, it isn't even back of mind, it isn't hidden. He speaks up, and that's significant because actually, the way we're told when you go through scholarship in ancient Egypt, multiple, multiple sources confirm this. In ancient Egypt, this was like a whole thing, dreams in their interpretation. But the way that was generally worked out in ancient Egypt, it was almost more of a science in that time. There would be people that would be trained in this. They would, have, they would be educated in schools of how to interpret dreams, how to how to know exactly which questions to ask, what certain symbols could mean, they would be, they'd be instructed in that. There would be techniques that they would follow. This was like a science to them. And so you got the, the baker and the cupbearer going, we're cut off from Pharaoh's court, we're here in this prison, and we don't have access to these dream interpreters, so we, we don't know what the dream is. And Joseph, I mean, Joseph, could he have not just kind of gone, that's your problem, guys. I, mean, I, I I'm in here for no good reason. You committed an offense against the king. I, I could care less, but, but it's just interesting to me. Joseph wades into that conversation and says, no, 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 actually it doesn't work that way. We don't need to find some interpreter in Pharaoh's court. Actually, God's the one who gives the interpretation of dreams. I think implied in that, when he says, please tell them to me, he's saying, and God sent someone who can tell you what this dream meant, and you're looking at him. Let me hear them, because God is with me, and God's favor rests on me, and I will interpret the dreams for you. Joseph is communicating like he still has this active relationship with God, and it's powerful. It's powerful. God is going to give revelation to lots of people in Egypt through this Hebrew who's been like sold and kidnapped. I mean, this is, this is God at work.
1: This is the Lord giving favor. I think this had to be a conscious decision by Joseph not to lose faith. And it's a conscious decision too. When we walk in these doors and
2: we have things that have broken our heart and wrecked our world, to sing something like, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore.
1: Or to sing, the night is dark, but I'm not forsaken. There's something of that same essence of faith that we're walking walking our own path with this. We
2: either believe this or we don't. Joseph either believed it or he didn't. We either see God invested in this, even in hard ways, even in confusing ways. We either see him invested in this or we don't. Whenever Joseph looks at something, God comes up. It may be that way in my life. The story does go on. And one feature of these dreams that, uh, look at verse 9, just interesting here. Let's hear the dreams. They're different. They're strange. The chief bearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. There's lots of symbolism with the threes going on, even As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth. The clusters ripened into grapes. Verse 11, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup I I had in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. And I love this because this is like razor sharp clarity. This is either going to happen in three days or it's not. Like what Joseph is about to say isn't some fortune cookie nonsense like, You may have something happen today. You know, it's like, well, of course, yeah, that's probably going to happen. This is like so pinpointed, so direct, so like he's either going to be an accurate interpreter of dreams or not, and everybody's going to know. Not fuzzy at all. Joseph said, this is the way it's going to go. The three branches mean three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. He will summon you, like summon you, he will restore you to your office. You shall play Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. That's your interpretation for the cupbearer. And there's so much confidence, like Joseph's not saying, I think it may be, it's
1: direct, isn't it? But notice what he says in verse 14. And I want these verses to sit on us a little bit. As Joseph says, only remember me when it goes well with you. And please do me the kindness. Could you just do me this one thing? Like, should, could you show me this one piece of kindness? Could you mention me to Pharaoh? Could you just get me out of this house? Because maybe
2: you don't know the full story, but I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. What this reminds me of is, yes, Joseph has not lost sight of God and he's not lost sight of others. But frankly, and I think we need to hear this, he hasn't lost sight of reality either. Joseph has not lost sight of reality. It's probably dangerous to overread psychology into this, but I do think we're meant, we have his word. Where is Joseph? What is Joseph saying? What Joseph is saying is like, would you please remember me? Would you please mention? So he's doing enough processing to go this man is getting ready to go directly to Pharaoh and maybe Pharaoh will show kindness to me. So if this man remembers, then maybe I will have a chance at getting out of here where I never belonged in the first place. And that is just a good, good dose of reality. He is, he's not passively resigned as if, well, it is what it is. I I appreciate that because this story is not just some flattened out character, but it's one that has emotions, one that has feelings. And we see Joseph actually not wanting to be there. He wants to be out. And he hasn't lost sight of what really happened. There's no covering over that. There's no pretending it didn't happen. His disturbing past is part of his life. It's part of his story. It will be. It will be part of his story. He says, I was stolen. It wasn't an accident made. It was wrong. And And I've done nothing here, and it doesn't seem like it totally consumes Joseph, but it's helpful for me to hear him process because, and listen, this is why. Because God doesn't ask you to live in a make-believe world where things don't hurt, where wrong things just, no, it really wasn't wrong, I guess. That's not what God is asking you to do. God's not asking you to pretend someone really didn't hurt you or use you. There's no pretense that the injustice didn't really happen. It's not as if God's saying, you know what, you never get the question, you never get the appeal, you never get the, to take an opportunity as it opens, you never get to challenge anything, nope, 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 you just got to cut all that off and just live as it is. No, actually, actually, Scripture goes so many different places, and Joseph balances the reality of the past with trust in the Lord, and both are strong in Joseph's life. And I say that because both, both can be very, very strong in your life.
1: You have trust in the Lord, and things that are really, really ugly happened. They can't really be changed and can't be undone.
2: I think that's important. As the story ends, we come to Genesis 40, verse 16. Chief Baker hears a favorable uh, interpretation, and he says to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. But he play, the play on words is not pretty here. It's going to lift it up from you like you're not going to be here anymore. He'll hang you on a tree. The birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then I read verse 23, and it's just one of those sad, sad verses in the Bible to me because if I identify it all with the character, I just go, you got to be kidding me. So verse 23 says,
1: yet the chief cupbearer did not Remember Joseph, but forgot him. But forgot him. Joseph didn't do anything to deserve to be kidnapped and sold into slavery. Joseph,
2: who did what's right. Joseph, falsely accused, put in prison. Joseph, doing you the courtesy of opening his mouth, noticing you're sad, speaking to you, Joseph. And yet it says... The chief cupbearer did not remember him, but forgot him. It's almost like fade to black, and there's that, an there's the end of that one.
1: And you think, no, no, that's not the way that goes. That's not the way that should go. It's tempting, like, you, you see, okay, so we
2: started with Joseph in prison. We kind of got our expectations built up, and here he's still in prison at the end of this chapter. And we could say, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've read chapter forty. 41, 42, like this is going places. You want to be close to Pharaoh. So Joseph, this actually is a really good thing. But yet, two problems with that. The biggest problem is Joseph didn't know that. And you don't either when you're going through things. And the other is it's going to take more time. More time is going to elapse.
1: Years are going to elapse. Before the cupbearer goes, Oh yeah, uh, Joseph, that's right.
2: In some ways it's so frustrating to me that things are not changing in the story for a while and they should be by all rights. It is true when we read, kind of back out and you go, oh God, in his perfect timing is going to put Joseph at just the right place at just the right time and it is all going to work out and that's true. That is true. But it doesn't make this any less tough. And although, I mean, I can be empathetic toward a character that I've never, I've only read the story. It is tough. It is tough to hear of people going through so many trials. It's tough to read, tough to hear. Tough when I know someone got diagnosed with cancer, a loved one, someone in our church family, and it breaks their heart. It's tough when the diagnosis didn't get better, it got worse. It's tough to hear stories of. People I know in our congregation that their kids are not treating them well, not treating them right, and there's broken relationships. It breaks your heart. It's gone on for far too long, and things should be made right, and they're not. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me to think through all the the challenges and the separation and the difficulty caused by the pandemic. It's hard to hear another story of someone who is hurting. It's hard for me to, to know that there is... Like, this person's dealing with this, and then you hear, and they're dealing with this, and then you've got to be kidding them. they got this news. And really, they've got that. And you go, this is just way too much. And that's what I feel when I read 23, at verse 23,
1: that he forgot Joseph. It just, it does become heavy. But I just want you to be clear, clear what this church has always taught,
2: because it's what the Bible teaches, is I just want to be very, very honest. We do not have a genie God who we just kind of say the right thing and gets us out of jams tomorrow. I wish I could just pray this prayer and everybody I know that's in a very tough spot would just be out of it by this afternoon, much less tomorrow morning. I wish, I wish. But that's not the God we have. And yet we also don't have a distant God who really means well, but he's so far away and he's so distant that he actually just can't really help us. He's, he's just too far away. He can't really help us where we are. We don't have that kind of God either. We don't have the genie God, but we also don't have a distant God. We, have, we do have a God who is very, very active and present, who hears. I love what Exodus 2 says, the people of Israel. says they groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And then I just love the, the short like subject and verb, it says God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant and God saw the people of Israel. And then it ends this way, and God knew. you're, you're, You're tempted to ask like God knew what? And then you say, yeah, he knew everything. He knew it all. He knew what it was like for that one mom. At that one place, he knew what it was like for that one man, that one father, that one mother, that one that one grandparent, that one, he knew, he knew. God saw, he heard, he knew, he remembered. This is the character of God. This is who he is. And this is how he moves toward his people. He doesn't take a step back, and there are no magic ones that we're going to distribute today. There's an encounter with a God who knows and hears. I mentioned at the beginning that we have, like, I love Genesis because we have these stories but what I find also really helpful, especially with the story of Joseph, is to take like these chapters in Genesis and then bring, bring Romans 8, because that happened after the cross. It was written after the cross to bring Romans 8 to bear with some of what we read in Genesis, because you get truth and you get principles and you get foundational things you can live your life and you get interpretation of what God is doing. And you bring that to bear on stories like Joseph's and stories like ours. And so when I, when I think of Romans 8, I think, well, the story of Joseph reminds us this world's a messed up place, and yet, yeah, here Romans 8 comes and says, yes, we do live in a broken world, and actually all creation is groaning because this world is such a broken place. And then as I, I think through Romans 8 and how it intersects a world like Joseph is living in and a world like I am living in, it would remind us that Jesus didn't just look at this world from afar, but he came not just near, but came to this world, like lived in it. Bore the injustice of it, suffered with it, saw, saw things that like you would never want to see with his own eyes, he saw.
1: And you add Romans 8, and you remind us, yeah, and with us, Jesus gave us his spirit.
2: He left us with his presence, so we cry out to the Lord, cry out through the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 would say, sometimes it's with groanings too deep for words. We can't just even like write it down in language and go, that's what I'm saying to God. Sometimes it just doesn't even form its way to that. Just crying out to the Lord. And he comes to our rescue and prays and helps us pray. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes to our rescue. Again, not from a distance, but when we trust him, when we're united to him. Romans 8 would say, to those who are in Christ, you may be in a pit, in a dungeon, in a prison, but there is no condemnation for you.
1: In the end of Romans 8, would say there's no separation from God's love. Nothing. Not if you're in Christ. Nothing,
2: nothing. So you begin to merge that into the story of Joseph. You begin to merge that into our story. And you realize the Father has come to our rescue. If he didn't hold back Jesus, there's, he will work things for our good. If he gave Jesus for our good... He's going to work things for our good, even if my eyes don't see it right now. We can trust the good plan that God is working out in our lives. Because we know, we know this, if God is for us, if God is for Joseph. This is no cliche, and it doesn't necessarily make every day bright and sunny, but it does give us something that we can grip when our world's falling apart. If God is for us, then who or what could ever be against us? Our faith rests in him.
1: So I wonder where, where do we go? I mean we've we've watched a story where like he's still in prison. And we'll get up and like what happens next. Just a couple things that I jotted down.
2: Maybe you could take away, maybe you could put some things into practice or think about. Maybe this afternoon, this evening, maybe tomorrow like spend some time in Romans 8.
1: Putting those things together, it'll be it'll keep you plenty busy for a long time. Maybe memorize some of that. And maybe you go, Curtis, I, I just, I
2: need someone to reach out to. And Champ is absolutely right. Like, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's not a person on staff or, you know, no one who works for the, I, I don't know, but maybe you send the text, the, you send an email, you, you make the call and go, I, it's pretty dark where I am and I need some help and I just need someone to just walk with me, pray with me. Maybe you're the kind that likes to write things out, and maybe you just begin to write things out, like where things are reality, like you don't have to sugarcoat it like reality. You begin to write out where, okay, here's where I am, and God, God has not abandoned. God has not abandoned, but this is reality. This is where I'm living. Maybe it helps you to write that out or type it out or whatever would serve you. And then in a moment, and I'll ask the band to come up, we're going to sing, and I I do wonder how much music could play a role in us working through these things. You get a couple songs that just fill your heart, confidence with believing. So in a moment, we're going to end this. Intentionally, we're going to end this with a song that's a prayer that really is, Lord, like, still my soul. We're going to tell our souls, you can be still because the Lord's on your side. And we're going to sing these songs. Sometimes, like, our heart's not even matching what we sing, but This is just one song of probably uh, a thousand that we could go to that could like strengthen our hearts. But sometimes songs like these have staying power. When we start singing about change,
1: which we will in this song, every change he faithful will remain. Like let your heart grip that. Lord, I pray for your help in this moment. I pray
2: for the person that's just worn out. I pray for the person that is still dealing with things that are really, really hard and really complicated. And I have no formulas and no cliche, but I I do believe you are here present. And so use even this next song to still our soul. And may there be lasting change and lasting perspective because of who you are and what you've done. We ask it in Christ's name.
1: Amen.